On this episode, Kirk dies, Guinan lies, we cram in too many enterprises, and a bunch of old men practice a little bit of the old ultraviolence. I'm Captain Awesome. I'm the Dribble Hippie. Take your station, grab onto something. There are no seatbelts on the bridge. Welcome back to part three of Star Trek Generations. Previously, Data learned to take a joke. Guinan found a ribbon buddy. Troy and Picard discovered themselves through therapy. Soren headed to Nevada, and the Dura sisters proved once again that they're a little forgettable. So let's continue the story one more time and find out how it ends. All right, and we immediately go back down to Viridian 3. Hey, man, uh, Picard... He's got to do his thing. So he, he's he's trying he's he's trying to appeal to Soren's humanity, or I guess it's Elrenity or whatever. Uh, but Elior, <laughs> Eller, I don't know. Let's just be racist and say humanity, right? So I, this scene is is weird because it took me back. So every time you see Picard in one of his battle situations on a planet where like he's with a bad guy and it's got to kill some time, he does the same thing. He kind of shuffles around and kicks things and tosses (laughs) pebbles at stuff just to try to figure out what's going on. He always does that. It's, I don't know. It's weird, but it totally felt like that. Like he just kind of stood there looking around like, oh, what's over there? Oh, that's cool. What's over there? That's nifty. Taking in his surroundings, an explorer yeah. at heart. <laughs> in fact, he even mentions in the uh, the episode where he lives the total other life uh, in his inside of his head, and uh-huh. he, uh, he tells his wife, "Is like my life as much as it was. I'm out wandering and just looking at things." Hmm. That's actually pretty prophetic. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, once again. Uh, Malcolm McDowell is going to try to tell him, hey, you know, uh, it's better than getting old. Let me explain to you why I'm doing all these creepy things. (laughs) Don't you feel old, old man? (laughs) Oh, my God. And he, uh, icky, icky, icky. Now, you brought up a point here um, that they they keep talking about the Nexus. They keep talking about what's going to happen, what things are, are all about. Nobody at any point in this movie tries to even give us techno babble about what the Nexus is supposed to be. It's as it's if just, when we got to the movies, we just decided curiosity was no longer a part of what we do. <laughs> right? Because they were just like, it, oh, hey, look, there's a thing. Somebody said it's bad. Okay, it's bad. All right, moving on. So this thing kills Kirk, keeps on plowing through the galaxy, and every, and everyone's just like, huh. And then everybody th- forgets about it for 78 years there's nobody out there studying it this thing killed jim kirk and well, not only the other people and- killed jim kirk but where were those 250 people because they weren't warping for weeks at a time to get to those people when they saved them they were in minutes away from earth yes this ribbon of energy that destroys everything in its path was close to Earth, and nobody knows anything about it. Nobody's nobody's interested in the Everybody's Earth. like, whoa, that we, was close. We just want it gone. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, 
it's the Romulans problem now. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah, that one just really we'll stuck with me on it because it says property of the board. <laughs> it just All seemed right. really odd that there was just a complete lack of any sort of curiosity as for what this thing is or or what it's going to do next. No, no, we just uh, we just got to take care of the bad guys. That's all. All right. Speaking of non-scientific approaches to things, somebody's going to ask data to scan for life forms. <laughs> and supposedly this originally uh, was supposed to be just him in there uh, humming while he did it, but he uh, he created the life form song himself. So Spiner just hammed it up a little, huh? Yep. Yeah, just slightly. So for those who have not seen it, this is where data proceeds to scan for life forms and he starts singing that song while he's tapping out the tune using the the bleeping little buttons on his his panel it's actually a pretty good joke it's kind of it's cute it's funny um he would have been immediately ripped out of his chair and thrown (laughs) into the brig or something yeah reportedly uh riker's reaction uh, uh freak's reaction is actually genuine uh, on that scene because he was not yeah. expecting that he was that out. not sure what to do next <laughs> so uh next we're gonna go to the back to the klingon vessel and they're looking through geordie's visor which is just creepy i mean klingons are violent but these klingons are also creepy they've been hanging out with mcdowell way too long <laughs> what what's he been doing <laughs> Nothing. All he did was bathe. Wow. <laughs> that moment when you feel like somebody's watching you. Yeah, it's Klingons <laughs> watching you in the bathtub. Congratulations. <laughs> so Jordy walks into the into the uh, engineering room and uh, he goes over to his normal station, and they're like, "Oh, hey, wait, push pause, rewind a little bit." <laughs> Ooh, I want to see that. Do you have commercials skip? We need to skip backwards. Um, And (laughs) there it is. The super secret. Nobody should ever see this frequency for the shields. And it's on like every screen. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget. (laughs) So who run our shields on is this. Right. Um, Now, interestingly enough, uh, when we do first see, uh, uh, Jordy in this scene, LeVar Burton is now wearing his DS nine style uniform, which as we said before is Cole Meany's, And that's why it's way too big for him. <laughs> There's a slight difference in frame between Cole Meany and LeVar Burton. Oh, poor bastards. <laughs> and, and not only that, somebody else just sweated in your uniform. Oh, I, yeah. I couldn't help but think of baby Brooks coming back. He's like, this thing is stretched out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, you also brought up what you just saw, which is it's also Claus. Yeah. Uh, firing station. Gonna, That's his periscope. We're going to start. So I'm not alone in this. You saw it too. <laughs> yep. Yep. Had to, had to have a nice, it's like, Oh, it was like nostalgic. <laughs> so now they've got the shield modulation, which means they know how to punch a hole right through the shields. So they just start firing on the enterprise. Now, this is the Duras sisters. They're uh, they're already pretty disgraced when it comes to the Klingon Empire. <laughs> uh, now they're going to fire on the Federation flagship and destroy it, or hoping to destroy it. 
I don't think this is going to go well for them. I mean, <laughs> we're at, the Federation's at peace with the Klingons. This is not going to be good. Yeah, but they remember they, they, they remember they they were more um, sympathetic to a uh, stronger non-Federation aligned Klingon. Oh yeah, no, I know they want that, but they're still going to get blown out of the sky. <laughs> good point. <laughs> um, but hey, now anyway, we can so shoot. They, they now start. we can shoot their, through their shields, so we've got the upper hand, right? And they start blowing the crap out of it. And even though they they land several shots on the Enterprise right in the engineering section, for some reason the bridge is blowing up like crazy. <laughs> Things are falling down all over the place. There's fire and brimstone stuff blowing up. And one of the helmsmen gets blown up. And so Deanna Troy jumps into the helmsman seat. Now, this is my question. Does anyone not see the color of her uniform? Is there Mm -hmm. not anyone there with a red or gold uniform that can take over for her? The person in the blue uniform does not belong steering the ship. Nothing against Deanna Troy. It's just not really her job. Also, if we're being really honest, it's a turquoise uniform. She's <laughs> not even wearing blue. <laughs> so there you go. It's even more um, not her job. Right. So um, I'm not sure why they put her on this, but the director really wanted some realism in this scene. So he wanted to get everybody's honest reactions. And so he did not want to do multiple takes. So he did a single take to get through the whole thing. (laughs) And there is crap blowing up all over the place. Things flying through the air. When that helmsman fell out of the chair between that and Deanna coming, running over to sit in the chair, a piece of flaming debris fell on the chair and she sat on it and actually burned her behind on it. Ouch. Um, Apparently it wasn't bad enough that she was like out, out of commission or anything. It was just painful. Uh, she sat on it, finished her scene and then got the heck out of there. <laughs> but when you watch the scene, it is her heading over to the seat and she goes to sit down and right before she lowers into that chair, they, they cut away. <laughs> Pretty sure I know why. <laughs> <laughs> because we are going to use real English curse words in this movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So the Dura sisters are shooting through the shields. Of the mm-hmm. Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we've been through this before. The Borg could get through our shields, and when the Borg got through our shields, what did we do? We modulated modulated our frequencies. Right? We have like, just, they knew they used to do that with the phasers when they'd shoot at the Borg too. Yes. Modulate the frequencies. Let's do the same thing with our shields. It You're is, right. I, I don't understand why they didn't do that. It's as if everyone just forgot, hey, you know what we forgot to try? modulating the shields i i can't believe that's i mean that's usually the first thing i go to and i cannot believe right? i totally totally miss that like you know what the problem is it's that uh cole Meany wasn't on the ship <laughs> this is true he, if he wasn't on ds9 they'd be able to figure this out <laughs> i do love the scene when they're trying to when they're getting shot at and they're trying to figure out a strategy and Riker runs to Worf asking about, you know, hey, you know, what kind of ship is that? And Worf knows the exact make and model of the ship. And it just got me thinking that I I can't help but think that there is a Klingon equivalent to the magazine Lowrider. 
that you know right basically it's like oh yeah yeah the d16 that's the one that's the one you want that right there there's those early 2160s d16s are quite the thing they have clearly realigned those plasma manifolds <laughs> they've done a great chop job on those have you i think it's more like the the tom paris right like he <laughs> whenever there's any kind of downtime he spends it in the holodeck pretending to be a, a chief engineer on a bird of prey <laughs> Well, it's like, like covered in grease and oh yes this is how i spend my free time it, the, the i'm figuring the whole uh bird motif the uh the uh wing painting that you do underneath of the uh the stabilizers you know is kind of like uh flames on, on oh yeah totally. hot rod you know it's just like oh those are some nice wings you've got sports on us in, in all seriousness i thought that the first time i saw one of those uh <laughs> they're not one of those the first time i saw the uh the klingon ships on uh uh the old series uh, you know, you see them with, with their real bird painting on those. And I'm like, I'll bet you that's like personalized. <laughs> it's it's kind of like having the, uh, the wizard with the chick in the middle bikini on the side of your van, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of the Klingons painting, painting murals on the side of their, their ships. <laughs> and look, I have put two LEDs where the eyes go. <laughs> Radical, is it not? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one thing I do like about this, though, is the blowing, blowing things up, and guys flying over panels. Ever since Star Trek Three, is just seen that when you want to blow things up, guys have to go flying over panels. It, it after Star Trek Three well, turned into a real uh, Star Trek trope. In mid twenty two. 67 i believe um they started staffing the entire back row of any starship with stuntmen <laughs> um, and they, they're all on uh they're all on spring-loaded platforms uh, just in case you never know when it's gonna happen <laughs> no. so then the ship explodes oh no yeah they they kill the klingons they figure out the trick they get the klingons to uh decloak or start to cloak and then they get to, and then Riker gets to do his fire line. And then, well, okay. So hold on. They force the Klingons to drop their cloak. Which no, they, means they, they actually they, force them to go into cloak. Or that's what I mean. To go yeah. into cloak, which drops their shields. Yes. So they totally stole Star Trek two's plot. Yes. Device. Yep. Exactly. How did they even do this? I, I, like, um, they use they just always know how to do this. So why have they had problems with every Klingon they've ever fought against? Because this particular model of ship had a problem with his cooling coils on the cloaking device, and which could be activated by an ion pulse. They still Star Trek too. <laughs> yes, yes. Just saying. It wasn't. It wasn't quite the uh, prefix code, but yes, it was pretty right. much the. And and again, just like in Star Trek two, we get the dramatic. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> and then, unlike Star Trek 2, we get to see a Klingon bird of prey blow up from Star Trek 6. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> again, we're coming in on time and under budget. Exactly. And uh, then, you know, whatever works, right? And then it we didn't get, look out of place. Then we get the first of the two jokes. Yeah, Data looks at the screen and goes, Yes. I'm going to say this. I hate this so much more than anything else that was in this movie. Data should not have done that. That sucks. 
I don't care how much it fit the character, how much it fit what was going on in his head. I don't care. That was stupid. <laughs> it made me feel at that very moment. It made me feel like, oh, this is this is why you've been doing all this because you wanted to get to here. You put me through all that for this? Yes. Yes. I will never exactly. forgive you. Long walk for very little reward. Right. So let's go back down to Viridian 3 because it sucks up here. <laughs> and sneaky Picard is still casually strolling around like he's walking through the yard in Shawshank. He's just got no cares in the world. <laughs> and he does discover there's a little hole. He tosses a rock through it. Like, hmm, very interesting. So uh, some helpful information. Because he's a simple man using simple, simple tools and he finds a way past technology because being the good guy always gives you a little, always gives you a little boost, you know? Look, I'm a simple backwoods starship captain <laughs> from the Starfleet <laughs> flagship. <laughs> I don't understand your modern ways. <laughs> so, thank you, you unfrozen caveman lawyer. <laughs> So then the Enterprise, well, it's not doing so hot. Yeah. And it's starting to blow up. You, you take a couple of photon torpedoes directly to the hole and bad things are going to happen. Yep. So Jordy lets everybody know, ah, engine, it's exploding. Ah! Coolant leak. We've got a coolant leak. And then Jordy gets to roll over the exact same door as he first really rushes everybody else out, make sure that everybody's out and the door is just about three feet high so he can roll under it. It's actually the same door from Star Trek two that they had to drag a couple of guys from not getting squished in that one. So yes. So this That's is a door huge door yet to squish any Starfleet. Try as it it's might. It's really, I'm kind of let down. <laughs> everybody seems to escape this door. It's not a very good isolation door. I'm just saying Alex Kurtzman, where's my series about this door? <laughs> it's just called door uh, <laughs> so I, I i do agree there's a lot missing from here like um so they they start evacuating everybody to the saucer section okay, and, okay which why are we evacuating sick bay sick bay is in the saucer section and if i'm not mistaken I, it's in the top half of the saucer section because they had to put all the people from engineering in sick bay. So the sick bay people had to go to 10 forward. And the people that were in 10 forward had to go to the captain's ready room. I forgot Starfleet is still basically a military organization. Got it. There Got you it. Go. That's yep. Everybody had everybody had their little book that they had to follow. <laughs> Did you pull out the red binder? I pulled out the red binder. Isn't there supposed to be something round that I'm supposed to pull out? twist and push back in around here somewhere <laughs> well no when there's saucer separation that's automated so um oh yeah why didn't we just jettison the warp core you know i thought about that too i don't know um like was it too close to the planet I, well the thing was gonna blow up anyway. about the planet. yeah i mean nobody then, cares about the planet yeah i, I, I don't know that was weird i don't know I'm going to, um, I'm going to say that the, uh, interlock mechanism for the, uh, Genesis the warp core was damaged. There we go. Rationalization. Okay. <laughs> so it explodes when it explodes. The saucer section is going through turbulence. Everybody starts flying around on the bridge. Um, <laughs> cause I, again, there are no seat belts on the bridge. 
Yeah, there's no seatbelts. But also the other thing about the D bridge is it's got ramps. Like if you fall down, you're going to roll somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I've never quite understood the ramps. Uh, We get joke number two. The oh shit joke, which actually of the two jokes was the better joke. I guess. If you had not done the first joke at all, that joke would have landed much, much better. If you had never done the yes, the oh shit would have landed much, much better. That's probably true. So in the commercials, they showed this over and over again. Data at his console, the ship is diving and he goes, oh, shh. And then they, they, you know, snap away from it. And you're like, oh, did Data just say a swear word? And, you know, when I was 16, I was like, he swore. But I got to admit, it just does not land to me today. I just think it sucks. It was it. Um, to quote James T. Kirk, uh, it had the virtue of never having been tried before. Yeah, right. So the first time I think it landed, but if you watch the movie more than once, it becomes evident that the entire B story was just a setup for this. And you start to get angry that something else could have been in there. A better B story could have been in there. Um, hmm. Of course, not many movies have B stories in them. It's yeah, a very it's television thing. So, um, but again, it's either a television thing or like a heist movie. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. I don't know. So it starts tipping towards the planet. And here and we go. Here we go with the sexism right here. Yep. Cause you know, Deanna Troy steering the ship. So what's going to happen? She's going to wreck it. And yeah. I, I actually found a quote from Marina Sirtis about this very thing. And I'm not going to try to do uh, do her voice because I'm just not going to try to do her. I'm pretty sure she could break you. <laughs> so the quote I saw was, I, I called my best friend Donnie, meaning Michael Dorn, and said, I get to drive. He asked me if I'd read the whole thing. I told him I had not yet. He told me not. He told me to finish it before I get too excited. So I read the rest of it and couldn't believe it. They let the blind guy drive and he did fine. But when I drive, I kill everyone until that <laughs> planet came out of nowhere. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so now we're going to crash the ship. And actually I had read that this was originally planned um, for the cliffhanger for the um, season or uh, episode one of descent, which would lead into the next season and the crashing of the enterprise. Now the idea was the saucer, they would pull the saucer back up. It wasn't going to ruin the enterprise D completely, um, yeah. but they just never really got the money time and the ability to do it correctly. Um, so it, it was something that they always wanted to do, which anyone who has the uh, enterprise D uh, Starfleet manual uh, Okuda's the Okuda's put an entire section about exactly how this works um, in the book itself, which came out before this movie. So it was one of those things. How the, how the crash works. Yeah. Oh, how the, uh, how, uh, basically how you land a saucer section on a planet. Cause mm-hmm. there's a whole part about using the, um, the changing the shape of the deflector fields to actually act as wings. Well, it's kind of interesting. If you actually look at the saucer section of the D it actually does have a little bit of a foil built in on the edges. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, it it kind of curves down a little bit and pulls back up again at the very, very edges. 
I think Akuda from the very beginning was expecting that thing to be like able to fly in an atmosphere. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And and in the book also the flight path, it, it looks like they took uh, um, a lot of the information from the old space shuttle as far as the way that they would enter the atmosphere and and make the turn to try to break speed and things of that nature. That makes sense. Now that said, the way that they actually did the effect was kind of interesting. Very cool. Um, so this is a big, huge model. Um, the landscape that it crashed into is a foam carved landscape. So what they did is they took the saucer section, they put it on a pole and it's, there's a slot in the, um, the foam landscape and it, the pole goes through that slot. And then they have a, a truck underneath the foam landscape, like a vehicle (laughs) and they drive that truck forward and the angle at which everything is going, the enterprise nose runs into that foam uh, landscape and carves a big old trench. Now, when they first were putting this, this effect together, they realized that if they got it just the way they wanted it and had everything stop just the way they wanted it to stop, that they were going to destroy a multi thousand, probably hundred thousand dollar camera. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we can't do that. So let's figure this out. So instead what they did is they put the camera above the situation and they put a mirror where the camera was supposed to be. So that, that saucer section is actually completely built backwards so that when it comes through flipped on the, the mirror, it looks normal. And then they crash that sucker really hard into the foam thing. <laughs> it's a great effect. It looks amazing. Um, it, it's so good. Uh, but yeah, the the whole thing was this like crazy contraption of like literally driving a vehicle until that <laughs> thing jammed itself into the the um, the model. No, that is really cool, and it really comes out. I mean the uh, the effect at the end, especially when it's dragging along the ground, is is really well done. Oh yeah, and of um, course there's no seatbelt, so everyone's flying all around. Oh God, seriously, there's. <laughs> what a thousand people on this ship and they've got them all crammed into shuttle bay one. Come on. Also, uh, they show a whole bunch of stuff breaking as this thing's crashing, right? They keep flashing into rooms interior and they literally show rooms where the glass breaks (laughs) again, transparent aluminum. It's kind of a thing. Yeah, but it's not the look you get with real genuine glass. Right. So, they show all this carnage. Everything is just flying apart and they keep showing the bridge and everybody's sitting there going, Oh, this is a tough ride. (laughs) And then the ship stops when it stops the bridge, everything pops and goes forward. None of those (laughs) seats are bolted down. Everybody just goes flying. I get that there's no seatbelts, but why didn't they bolt down the seats? (laughs) Again, this is this is a bunch of people who have been living with inertial dampeners so long in their life that they just take it for granted. They just Amen. It's, it's never going to go wrong. No matter how many times I get slammed around, it's not going to happen again. That was just a yeah, fluke. Exactly. <laughs> so we go back to Viridian 3. Picard, you know that hole he found earlier? Well, guess what? He can fit through that. <laughs> so now he's inside the force field. <clears throat> dun, dun, dun. 
And I'm imagining somewhere in the in the uh, production meetings on this, somebody said, you know what I think people really want to see is we want to see two players from the Royal Shakespeare Company have an old man fight. I think that would really bring people in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I was looking for. I, you know, when I saw the ad for the movie and then the subtext said also old man fight. I was like, yes, <laughs> sign me up. Uh, it was still better than the fight between Kirk and Krug. Because... Uh, that oh the Shatner on Christopher Lloyd. No, thank you. Um yeah, so I, I agree with you. Data should have come down. Um, like, we're seeing at this point and Patrick Stewart trying to beat up a, a Malcolm McDowell and kind of thinking, I think Data could have taken Malcolm McDowell. I've just I just got this feeling. Right? You know, Data would have just walked through the force field, picked that guy up and thrown him like a rag doll. Done. No problem. <laughs> Oh, and on top of it, he probably could have crashed the missile while he was at it. <laughs> but alas, Data did not go, so the missile fires, and it blows up the star. Freddie Mercury climbs the top of the rock, or I'm sorry, Malcolm McDowell climbs the top of the rock, does his Freddie Mercury pose, and the Nexus grabs them both. So Vernian 3 proceeds to blow up because the, the shock wave from the star comes through. And I, I got to admit, 30 years later, I'm still looking at that. And it, it my stomach dropped when that shock wave hit the, the saucer section. I know it's a foam model or a plastic model on foam. I, I know it's not really people inside. But that's my family, and I just watched my family get get killed. I I thought that, they did a really great job of of just you being able to see just the tiny people on top, and then try to turn and run, you know, which they get you know with three steps before a whole thing blows up. I I thought that was actually really really well done that you just see that little bit of reaction gets me every time. So Picard gets swept up in the Nexus along with Malcolm McDowell. And all of a sudden it's Christmas. Yeah. Which I'm a big fan of Christmas. So honestly, if I were hit by the Nexus, I'd probably end up at Christmas. Man, you know, it's really sad. I don't know what I would end up in. But I'd probably just be, you know, sitting on my couch watching TV. Well, the thing is, if, if Picard liked Christmas this much, how do we not have a Star Trek Next Generation Picard Christmas movie? Ooh. I like that. You travel back in time to make sure that the uh, wise men actually make it to Bethlehem. Thing writes itself. Alex <laughs> Kurtzman, where's Mike's Star Trek Christmas movie? <laughs> <laughs> so I am Locutus of the wise men. <laughs> um, okay. He has kids too. That's, that's part of his Nexus experience, which... I have to say that kid, I understand that we're playing off the theme of uh, him realizing that he doesn't have any children, but I did think that was just a bit weird that he had that many that many childrens and specifically how they looked. How did the Nexus know all this stuff? Where did they get this material? I I have so many questions. Well, I think that this is one of those things where you're really tapping into the the childlike nature of this is what I want. Not the logical, you know, this is how I would like to live my life kind of thing, but, uh, but I want to, and I, we've touched on this before, right? Like throughout the series, there were, there were times when they touched on Picard really would like to have a family. Yes. You know, he, he was always talking about how it was sad that he didn't have ladies. It was sad that he didn't have kids. He just never figured out a way that he could settle down. 
And going into this, I think it really highlighted the fact that Patrick Stewart is such a better actor than Shatner ever was (laughs) because the look on his face, the way that he transitions so quickly from what is this crazy crap I'm in, I'm in the middle of to just like 30 seconds into it. He's like, this is my family. I love all these people. I am totally in this. And that you can see the shift in his face. It's so good. I I mean, don't get me wrong. I am absolutely prejudiced in this situation, (laughs) but I honestly feel that looking at the two actors side by side, this guy nails this. It is perfect. And this is, I think this is also a, uh, a case of having an actor and a director who really know how to work together. Um, Yeah. Because making this scene make any sort of sense at all would be really difficult. I thought about this when I watched it the last time and trying to convey um, what Picard's going through and just the general feel of it and what he's seen. I thought it was really well put together that it's very easy to figure out what's going on. It's not, despite the fact that he's just boom out where and it's Christmas now. And it's, um, it's surprising how easily it is to kind of track exactly what's going through his head. Yep. Totally. Um, so he, he's having Christmas with his family. And, <laughs> and in his perfect world, all of a sudden, all of a sudden of, Guinan shows up in his house. So Guinan sneaks well, into your house in your perfect world. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> there is that. But I think I think it also kind of clicks in his head, right? Like he, he watches the kids go in to go eat. He turns around, goes and looks out the window. And like you can see, he's mulling it over. He's like, this isn't quite right. Something's off. That, and then Guinan shows up behind him. I still, I mean, I get that Guinan is a guiding influence in this but i don't really understand why so the thing that i'm coming up with is the fact that time doesn't exist in the nexus so sure everybody who's ever been in there even just for a split second is still in there because there's no time but yeah i I get what you're saying does that mean she knows everything guinan will ever know i would think not because she's supposed to be an echo of guinan True. And she knows who he is, which at this point she wouldn't know who she is unless no, she would know nope, who he is nope, because she, she met him in San Francisco. She met him in the 1800s That's in San Francisco. Right. <laughs> which also makes me wonder, did she use the Nexus to go out to San Francisco in the 1800s and then go back in the Nexus before she was uh, rescued by the, uh, by the Enterprise? There's a lot to unpack there. No, she did not because in the 1800s she was there uh, hiding from her father. She was still an adolescent in her culture. Ah, thank you. Anyway, I should have known that. Wow. I just watched that episode I not long ago. Rat hole that episode over and over again. Okay, so okay, he so. starts realizing there's something off. Guinan kind of talks him through it and explains where he's at, what's going on. I think there's somebody who can help you here. And we switch over to Kirk, which, which, <laughs> okay. You can go anywhere at any time. So why don't you go back to just before you got your ass kicked with Captain Kirk? Well, no. Why don't I go back to when I first met Soren, punch him and arrest him and put him in the brig? Right? No, you don't. I'm just going to shoot that guy. So he's going to kill 230 million people. I think I'm perfectly fine to just shoot him. Here's my rationalization. If he goes that far back in time to do all that, Ensign Daniels is going to show up temporal agency is going to show up 
you might affect the timeline much more negatively. The more time you're given to mess around in a, in a time that you've already been through, the more chance you have to mess something up. And because I hate it when you bring Ensign Daniels into this, <laughs> because, I hate that guy. because of your temporal prime directive, you try to do as little damage to the timeline as possible. So, all right, fine. And that is rationalization. So we get to Kirk's house, which incidentally is actually Shatner's house, his real house <laughs> in real life. Which I, uh, I almost, I could almost guess that when I first saw the movie. I don't know why, but it's right? just like, I look would, at that and you're like, this has William Shatner written <laughs> all over it. Why do I think that there's a location check somewhere that's, you know, in this deal as well? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, also, uh, so Kirk's gonna, you know, he, he's chopping wood. Picard's talking to him about stuff. Um, the house is great. Kirk's like, none of this is real. <laughs> So he saw, he basically is like, Hey, look, listen, um, I, I don't really understand why this is so bad as he's cooking. <laughs> and the only thing I can figure is that we've, why is he cooking? The only thing I can figure is that somewhere in the long line, somebody told him how wonderful Christopher Pike's omelets were. And he got jealous and he tried to like outdo Pike with his omelets. That's, that's what I'm coming up with on that. And I'm going to tell you, I've watched people on screen eat Pike's omelets and be very happy with them. Yes, yes. This man is not making an omelet. <laughs> this man is dropping an egg into a pan and just kind of scraping the pan <laughs> with a whisk. That is not making food. What? He put dill in it? <laughs> yeah, no. He asked somebody to go get dill and never put it in the pan. Oh, now his dog comes in. Now, did you read this about the dog? I, yeah, this is messed up. Yeah, yeah. So the dog's name in the movie is Butler, which was the name of Shatner's dog. The dog originally had a different name as it was named after one of the writer's recently deceased pets. And Shatner was like, no, I want it to be Butler. Yeah, that was messed up. Uh, yeah, uh, that's it. <laughs> So <laughs> that's very Shatnerian. <laughs> he plays with the dog for a minute and then he goes back and he makes some eggs or finishes making the eggs. And he's like, he, he puts together this whole breakfast in bed thing. And we hear a woman's voice and he's like, Oh, this was the day. This is the day that I told her I was going back to Starfleet. I'm going to fix it. He starts heading upstairs and Picard's like, you can't do this. You got to come help me. And Kirk's like, why? Why should I go? I could do this. <laughs> I can live here forever. I don't care. I think the galaxy owes me one. Right. And he goes upstairs, heads through the door to go propose. And what happens? He gets transported into his barn. In Idaho, his uncle's farm in Idaho, which I found very interesting because Kirk is from Iowa. We know that. Mm-hmm. He has an uncle who has a farm in Idaho. Christopher Pike has a ranch in Idaho. So I don't know no if there's relation. a connection over there. But I mean, Star Trek could be a relation. We don't know. But no relation. Now, they're going to end up riding horses. Um, Shat's going to hop on a horse. He's going to ride out to go try to find the girl. And then Picard's going to follow him. Now, funny thing about this, um, these tailored pants they're wearing, they ride up real bad if you're on horseback. And so Shatner told him a little secret about these. He said, look, when I was uh, in my cowboy days on film, I used to go out and... Uh, put on pantyhose 
And so when you see both of these captains on horseback out in the middle of this scene, they're both wearing pantyhose (laughs) underneath their uniforms. It's fantastic. (laughs) So they, uh, they, they ride around on horseback for a little bit. Kirk jumps a, a ravine and is like, I, it, it doesn't scare me at all. They used to scare the <laughs> hell out of me. And now it doesn't scare me. This isn't worth it. I got to go. <laughs> it's the cyborg so thing all to- over again. Cause it's just like, Oh, this is too, I need, I need my pain. Right. <laughs> sure, dude. Um, oh, I, good. I love that, that, that Picard's, love his his happiness his happy place in this nexus is to have a family that loves him and to have this complete fantasy world built up shatner's or excuse me kirk's is i totally screwed that up i gotta fix that (laughs) this is i made this huge mistake my my entire life has been a lie it's been a mistake i gotta fix that I just find that very interesting that that, like both have kind of the same thing, but are also slightly different enough. It's like, (laughs) Ooh, this says a lot about who you are. I think Picard Um, is more clear about the things that he gave up, but might want. I think, I think Kirk is more reactionary of uh, whatever, whatever strikes my mind at the moment. That's what I want. Yeah, exactly. I did find it interesting that I read um, just a brief quote um, from, Shatner that said the line that he gives, who am I to argue with the captain of the enterprise? He said, mm-hmm. that was really hard to get out. He said, it now, didn't was f- it really hard to, to get out like emotionally or like he just couldn't deliver the line? Um, emotionally. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't really tell. Um, he just, he didn't, he had a really hard time. He said emotionally just saying the line. Huh? Uh, but that's all he said about it. He didn't really get, go very deep into it. He just said that of of the entire movie and and maybe of all the Star Trek movies, that was the hardest line for me to actually deliver. Well, if you think about it, this was the end. So yeah, there you we're go. kissing you off, Jim. Um, I did like the the never let them retire or never let them tell you to retire. You know, he sits there and he tells uh, tells Picard, you know, if they ever tell you to retire, because <laughs> I was a dumbass and I did it. And right. look where it got me. But it's a great speech. Like it, it is so honest, right? It it very much feels like Shatner talking to Stuart saying like, you know, if, if they ever try to kick you off this show, don't do it, man. <laughs> like you're the boss. Just stick with it. It's so much fun. Don't ever quit. I wish he would have, re- he would have resurrected my favorite Captain Kirk line. It's better for you. It's better for me. <laughs> it's better for them. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, um once again we we have no idea what the nexus is nobody's really looked into this thing at all honestly this thing would have a cult based on it (laughs) right you have people following it and worshiping it i honestly i i think that uh we're we're missing the part where soren had his his uh his ladies following him (laughs) his six wives telling him uh, that they can't wait to join him in the Nexus. All I can say is I really don't want to know what Malcolm McDowell really wants out of the Nexus. I, you know what? I can skip that scene. (laughs) It's an Oscar, dude. It's just an Oscar. That's it. Uh, So they decide they're going to go back. So what are we going to have? More old men fight. 
we're going to have to add another old man to this old man fight. (laughs) And it kind of seems the very first thing they do is stand and pose. Okay, everything's in danger. Let me introduce myself and stand here and look heroic. Well, I mean, it's it's Kirk. Of course he's going to do that. (laughs) I do like that Kirk goes full TJ Hooker just right away and starts beating up on Mel McDowell. (laughs) And Malcolm McDowell's like, all right, seriously, you're you're like 15 years older than me. I'm going to take this. <laughs> so, um, Kirk attacks him. He knocks the the remote control out of his hand, and Kirk goes <laughs> sprawling to try to get it. So, what does Soren do? He blows up the catwalk. <laughs> the catwalk, yeah. <laughs> you know, he shoots his little thing at the catwalk. Okay, I gotta stop. I'm sorry. Um, so I'm sorry. I saw the controller fall down. I'm just saying. I they I know it's supposed to still be on there, but I saw it fall down. Um, and Picard is like, "All right, I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go get him. You go get the controller." And he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna do this, Captain." And he goes, "Call me Jim." And the look that comes across Picard's face. Oh my god. Kirk just said to call him Jim. And everybody's just <laughs> missing the fact that the movie now adventure now hinges on, can you find the remote? Right. And where is that damn thing? I can never <laughs> find it when I need it. <laughs> but he does is- figure out how to use it. Unfortunately, he puts the, uh, the thing into SAP mode. So all the screens are now in Spanish. Okay. I did. Okay. In all seriousness about the screens. There is little squiggly text on the screens that is clearly supposed to be an alien language of some sort. But then when there's an overload, it's in English. <laughs> that's that's the word that the universal translator recognizes. Oh crap, I yeah. know that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, you know that little that little walkie-talkie that's on your chest? Yeah, it translates text too. Don't worry about it. Just, just don't, don't 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 think about it. Um <laughs> Okay, so Kirk's gonna fall. Um, the uh, the 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 bridge finally doesn't hold out anymore, and the whole thing goes boom, 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 rolls down the hill. Kirk's not gonna make it. Okay, now this is. <clears throat> let's talk about Kirk's death here for a moment, because this Real cost quick. five million dollars. Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Five million dollars because the original script called for Soren to shoot Kirk in the back. Mm-hmm. They shot this, they test audience audienced it and the audience was silent according to Berman because they could not believe that's the way the captain Kirk was going to go out. Yeah. So your solution is let's make him a victim of faulty construction because yeah. that's much better than being shot in the back. Now here's a couple of things. First of all, it took you two years to write this movie. Probably could have come up with something a little bit better than that. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying. Also, the original script, the original idea that they wanted was that Kirk was going to take control of the battle bridge mm-hmm. of the Enterprise and protect them against the Kling- from the Klingons while they escaped, which is which- a massively heroic ending. Oh, that's a way, way better. 
I mean, can you think of anything better for Kirk than fighting to the death against the Klingons? I, it seems like that's the, why, why are you, why was that? I don't understand the decision on this because it just seems like that would have been. Well, if they had done that, then they couldn't have reused the Star Trek six explosion. (laughs) I mean, quite honestly, it's absolutely true. Um, the, the funny thing is, is that this catwalk, the only reason it existed was for the purpose of Kirk to fall off of it. It actually goes nowhere. Um, uh, funnily enough, when they refilmed this ending, uh, they called the state of Nevada and said, we need to come back out and refilm. And the state of Nevada said, well, that's cool. We haven't cleaned up all that metal stuff that you guys left behind. So your set's still there. Um, and it, it was months later and they were like, Oh, cool. And so they showed up and on top of it, when they filmed the scene originally, or all the, the early scenes, it was well over a hundred degrees in the Nevada desert. And when they came back, it was winter time. And so it was nice and beautiful all day long. <laughs> and so they got to film in nice, cool conditions the second time around. Ooh, boy. Yeah. I, I um, the very last chapter of, uh, of uh, Shatner's movie memories is uh, him shooting the first shot. He, the very end is actually him saying, Oh, they're calling me and I have to go back out to Nevada to shoot some more. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talked about just how grueling that, uh, that first shoot was out in the, uh, the Malia oh, fire. Um, and then of course, Soren dies. Um, because he gets, because Picard, as you mentioned, can figure out OS is really, really fast. Right. Yeah. He's just like, Oh, I know this, this is Unix. So, <laughs> so that's how you clamp down, but still launch the lit- missile at the same time. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. So Soren sees it and he, his eyes get really big and he goes, Whoa, whoa and he blows up uh, and goes to the great <laughs> clockwork orange in the sky. Um, <laughs> I think his last words were crimson velo set. Uh, so Kirk's last words, I'm pretty sure, were get this damn bridge off of me. <laughs> but Kirk's always like, listen. get off my bridge. <laughs> and Kirk's like, get my bridge off me. <laughs> anyway. um, so apparently Malcolm McDowell was actually pretty disappointed because he wanted to be the one who shot the captain. Yeah, he. Uh, I found a quote on a Trek movie about it. Uh, from a convention where he, uh, he said that I don't care whose fault it was, whoever came up with his death at the end, I thought it was really cheesy. I just think the man, whether you like him or not, should not be given a, a should be given a blazing death. And I, of course, would have been happy to have supplied that. Look, I just think it was a missed opportunity for this great iconic figure that everybody loved or everybody loathed. He was one of the greatest figures that caused dissension and debate and arguments. So yeah, it was obvious that uh, that Malcolm McDowell really wanted to be more of a villain on this, and and uh, really, really wanted to be able to say that he bested Captain Kirk. Yeah, I get it. Oh um, heck yeah, it's kind of a feather in your cap, right? <laughs> so the Enterprise D is no more. Because um, it's a because vic- we need a new movie, new new movie ship. Every time. But I mean, that's how you get your sweet, sweet flyby, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, how, how are you going to get that without a new ship? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it will prove for, for Star Trek geeks. This is proof, though, that the future that we see in All Good Things, the uh, series finale of Star Trek Next Generation, will never come to pass because 
the Enterprise D was still up and kicking at that time. I fundamentally disagree. Hit Q. Q. You think Q, Q reassembled it? Q takes advantage of old Picard for getting everything. So <laughs> that's really what it comes down to. Q's like, you'll never remember. I don't care. I'll just make it up as I go. And as if we aren't sad enough about the Enterprise D being destroyed, then we have to be disgusted to watch Data cry as he finds his cat. Okay. As a Star Trek fan, knowing that Brent Spiner hates that cat, <laughs> it makes it even all that much more difficult to accept this scene. Plus, he's a friggin' robot. Why does he have tear ducts? Okay, I know why. It's because he's fully functional. If, if, if you gave me three days, I'm sure I could come up with a stupid reason. <laughs> God, it's just so dumb. <laughs> okay, and here's the thing. We find the cat. We're all happy about the cat. Nobody has any feelings whatsoever for Picard's lionfish. That lionfish right, lasted seven or eight years. I want to look up that lionfish and find out how many they went through because those are expensive oh, fish. Yeah. And I mean, like how many did they kill? Uh, Cause I'm sure with the studio lights and that, that uh, ready room, I'm sure they killed their fair share. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe by the time they got to the seventh season, it was just plastic. <laughs> um, you know, I, I gotta say, so Picard goes on to give us the look how, how cool we all really are when you really think about it speech. Kirk gives a speech in six other movies and I just want to shut him off because it's so cheesy. Picard does it. And I'm like, man, let's do a slow clap. I, <laughs> I want a slow clap for that man. Cause it's so good. He, he does have a way of, of deli- delivering inspiring dialogue. Doesn't he though? Uh, you know, seeing the ship all destroyed like that, it I, it still got me in all the feels. It's been several years since I've watched this movie, and uh, it, it still hurt. Um, this is actually the Enterprise D bridge. They did destroy it for the purpose of filming this, uh, and they did a good job. Yeah, uh, There's chunks of stuff all over the place. They tore it up so bad that there was no reusing it. Um, they, they were hoping that they were going to be able to reuse some of it, and they were not. Um, in fact the redress that they did actually fundamentally offered altered the structure of the bridge because they actually redressed the enterprise E from all good things and, or, or excuse me, the enterprise D variant from all good things. Um, They redressed that and that came with actual floor manipulation and some structural changes. So by the time they got to this scene, they were like, just scrap it, just destroy it. And I got to admit, that was a big chunk of my childhood. It made me pretty sad. I can but see then that. I was happy again because they were beamed up by the Farragut, the Reliant, and the Grissom. <laughs> <laughs> Which was really weird because the Reliant and the Grissom were destroyed like 80 years ago. But yeah, apparently the, the model for the Reliant, if you look real carefully, you can actually see the registry number on it. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> We they just forgot to paint the A or B or D or whatever it was supposed to be on it. The I believe you mean the bloody A, the bloody B. <laughs> oh God, I was just thinking about that episode today. Anyway, well there you have it, folks. That is Star Trek Generations. Some think of it as Star Trek Seven. 
Uh, some think of it as Star Trek six when they're not paying attention, writing things down. That would be me. Star uh, Trek <laughs> teaches Hollywood how to do crossovers. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a movie. It's not a terrible movie. Uh, it's not really a great movie. It's just kind of bland. Yes. Yes. And, but, and, uh, I, I completely agree on this. There was a lot of potential, a lot of good things about it. The data story just really hurts. It wasn't necessary. And I do think that, uh, the Kirk death could have been better. Yep. I, I absolutely agree. Um, I, I will say that the one thing they did accomplish the, here that they were trying for is it is definitely a mental transition from one, from one franchise to the next. Yes. And I, I think it, it capped it off rather nicely, even if the death scene wasn't that great. Um, and it, it gave us the permission to move our mindset to the new movies. Yes. Yes. Um, and I thought again, I thought David Carson for what he was given to work with, um, mm-hmm. and especially with the timelines and the budget he was given, um, I, I thought he did an amazing job still working in television. Uh, uh, but, uh, this was really his, uh, his big move, you know, big Hollywood movie. And, uh, I, I thought he pulled it off. I'm surprised he really didn't get more work making movies yeah. considering what he did with this one, but might be one of those things he just doesn't want to do. That's completely possible. And if he were to come on our podcast and talk to us about it, it would be really awesome. <laughs> all right so uh next time we're going to jump into star trek first contact uh which is going to continue the rule of even movies being better than odd movies (laughs) uh and that one is going to be directed by jonathan frakes so i'm really excited he did Uh, some excellent episodes many of my favorite episodes are directed by frakes or by lavar burton exactly uh in the meantime uh We just want to say thank you to our friends over at five year mission for the use of their song beam down as our intro and outro. Thank you. And uh, please make sure you head on over to five year mission.net where they've got a whole bunch of good stuff. They do an episode of TO or they do a song for every episode of TOS and combine those into albums for the seasons. Uh, It is really, really good stuff. I strongly advise you to check it out. So cool. Thank you, everybody. Have a good time. Thanks all. Have a good week. 2016.